Hello and welcome to Saltgrass. Today we have another episode with Zoe Scolio and the Castlemaine Commons Collective. Zoe's been uh, collecting audio from local community members and stories about community connectivity and how resilience can be built and how people can help each other out in times of difficulty um, through history and currently what people are doing currently. And we've got two new interviews for you today. We'll be sharing Madeline Hudson, who many of you might know as Mads. She's been doing community lunches with Community House and she has also uh, been involved with Growing Abundance recently. I think she's on the board there. And we also have Lorraine LePastrier, who uh, is very active in the disability space as an advocate and uh, has got some beautiful things to say about some reflections, I guess, on on nature and how she sees things tied in with that as well. So before we start, I always like to acknowledge country. We are presenting from Jara country, home of the Jajarung, who have been custodians and caretakers of this land for tens of thousands of years. And sovereignty was never ceded. Salt. 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 Grassroots. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. All right, Zoe. Hi. Hi, Ali. Uh, Thanks for coming back in, and I'm excited to share these interviews you've collected. Tell me about these two people and why you, what you sort of found out as you spoke to them and why you thought you'd put them together today for us. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I've been collecting different stories and we've had a few sessions together now where I've shared excerpts of some conversations I've had with local people in the community who are involved in different sorts of community organising and thinking around collective care and how they work together to understand how to create thriving communities and in the face of increasing precarity as well how do we what what are the role of community groups and understanding and thinking through um and learning about existing community groups and Castlemaine and surrounds have many finding the wisdom of those who've done it before yeah and in all sorts of places um and in all the many forms that community organizing takes Mm -hmm. so it's a big task but it's part of my own learning as someone recently arrived to these lands to this country um this country being Jajawarang country yes and um so um Mads was someone I spoke to whose name both um people uh were suggested through other people when I was sort of chatting informally and I'd also the best way to find people yeah I feel like this the human network is the best place to start and then see how that can hopefully spread out further Mm -hmm. afield so I'd also been to community lunch uh and my parents talk very highly of it because they've um, been many a time and Mads at the time was the chef there and is involved in all sorts of really interesting projects around town. So we had a chat and a walk uh, through Kalimna Park together and 
There's an excerpt here of our conversation. She's also, as you mentioned, involved with the collective Growing Abundance, which I won't talk about more now because she talks about it really well in the interview. Um, and people might remember Mads. I did an episode with her last year sometime when she was running a, a zero-waste f- cooking course with Community House. So if you've been listening to Saltgrass for a while, you might remember that show and you can always listen back to that on the podcast site. But I think you guys have have some different things to talk about. So let's listen to your conversation with Madeline. So community lunch is like a hub that connects to the community kitchen garden and then there's other community community gardens that are in development in terms of you know connecting people more. Um, Growing Abundance is a collective that its main thing is harvesting the surplus fruit in people's backyards, especially yeah, let's walk down this way. Oh, does it go back around? Yeah, it comes down. Um, so yeah, Growing Abundance is you know a volunteer, not-for-profit organisation, and it's just people who love food and love yeah love <laughs> love trees and want to share that that abundance that abundance that we have because there's so much. Yeah, there's so much food. It formed in 2010 and there's been a lot of different people in the collective over the years and the last few years has just been a bit of a quiet time and so we just reformed to keep it, the committee going and keep the organisation incorporated so we can, um, yeah, keep doing, you know, reaching out to the community. And it's just it's the connection, you know, like food's so much about the connection to each other which is so important and our our collective nourishment and nurturing and our resilience resilience at this point in time yeah a lot of people have little mini orchards and they might be at a phase in their life where they're older and they don't have the kids you know coming through or we did an apple harvest we just did a small harvest with the new collective because we were just starting out and finding our feet and the perfect there was a perfect recipients were an older couple who just bought a little place in Harcourt but there's like they've got 25 trees or maybe more and they were like is it exactly a growing abundance sort of um yeah yeah mission was they were like oh how are we going to look after like how are we going to harvest all this fruit we don't want it to go to waste and what are we going to do with it and so we came in and harvested it all and then cleaned up underneath because now with fruit fly it's this like extra imperative to be looking after the fallen fruit mm. and mm. looking after the trees and yeah all that sort of stuff so fruit fly is a really major it's a really major issue yeah for people so um it, there's an even greater imperative for organizations like growing abundance to be operating and happen like what was the strategy to kind of contact or find people who had fruit trees or to connect them and well there is an old database there's a database and then I think it's just, you know, it can be through, you know, word of mouth. I have some connections from people who have donated donated to um, their community lunch. They've got, you know, heaps of pears or heaps of quinces or all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, there's an existing database. It was a very successful program and people loved it, you know. When, when, commu- when growing abundance was a little bit more quiet, lots of people, when they found out we were you know getting the crew together getting the gang back together again um with new people they were, everyone was so excited because it's just such a beautiful thing for everyone you know for kids it's it's for everybody it um really is beautiful and hey puppy 
Yeah, and it's what the villagers, what, what, what villagers and communities used to do. You know, you had the seasonal, <laughs> the seasonal harvest, then you had the seasonal pressings of the olive oil. Or the, we had an um, apple pressing, which is really great. So we did that at one of the hub, the hub garden. So that's another little community garden that's sort of volunteer run. And um, yeah, so we pressed the apple, and it was just glorious. We pressed them. We had the beautiful big wooden barrel and played the piano accordion and you know the first golden sweet tree started flowing and it was just yeah it's like reconnecting to those old ways reconnecting to seasonal for me connecting to seasonal rhythms and festivals and stories and the way we celebrate and it's the preserving of stuff like that's how I'm really feeling that gap for community lunch it's like well you have the you have the the glut of the season when the season's on and then community lunch is great to be able to process a lot of food, so that works. There's community lunch here in Castle Maine, and then I do Molden the next day. And there's a wonderful cook in Newstead who cooks on a Wednesday as well, Anthony Santa Maria. He's a good friend. He does the Newstead community lunch. So mm. the community lunches and the community gardens are important little hubs for people, yeah, to come and come and share space and be nourished and looked after but yeah it's the value of it is just really so many levels that it operates on yeah it gives that that regular sense of connection for people mm. yeah so we've also got this thing with with community lunch which is really awesome and it's just started is a little um ins- a little idea for people to grow a row in their backyard so grow it's like what, grow a row of food for so if you've got space to grow a bit of extra you can like have a little designated spot where you you know can grow food for community lunch which is just started with some garlic <laughs> with garlic crops so we put there's a couple of backyards that we've got a nice crop of garlic growing and so yeah yeah we'll do that. hello oh nice bike got big fat wheels what was so great about that season is that we just put the call out for people's backyards and um, to share their surplus produce and it just it just worked like there's so much in summer like with all the tomatoes all the zucchinis you know all the fruit the pears the apples um, plums it was um, you know pumpkins it was just um, right until the pumpkins we pretty much you know almost 90% of the fresh fruit and veggies were coming from coming from the community which was just that just made me feel so good it was like true community lunch you know it was like and yeah I knew the people I had I had a great time because I was driving around I love going and checking out people's places and just it's like that old village thing where you just drop into each other's places more if you ever lived in a country place and it yeah, it was very, um, very inspiring, and it was, um, yeah, it warmed my heart. Like we're so fortunate here, the local farmers market. You can see what's in season. You you know what's in season. And when you grow a bit of a garden, you sort of you get in tune with that as well. But um, when I when I was doing the zero waste cooking and sustainability course, um, I had this beautiful uh, synergy that was happening with the seasons. Where I was like, um, oh, I saw some beetroots, and I was like, oh yeah, we'll make. What I'm trying to say is that the earth informs 
how you know the plants and the seasons inform how you cook and that's the thing that we're passing on and working with one of the indigenous cooks um, Ira who's one of the Murnong mamas this is what we're sharing in our cooking classes it's not like oh let's go what do we want to make now what's the recipe what do we get no the other way around what's here ah Jerusalem artichokes are in season pumpkins are in seasons ah beetroots are in seasons people it's really easy to feel isolated when you don't have those natural places to come together the local farmers market you know like those that's true community like they're they're true relationships they're not like architected from somewhere else like saying hey what is community comes out of a real imperative and a need and it's easy and it's our it's care for ourselves it's our way back home like we need that healing so the only way back home is for us to have that connection and like like i said that direct relationship direct relationship to like food as medicine direct relationship to the animals to the seasons to the earth the way all the the web of or the whole ecosystem interrelates that we're being you know part of it you know we are nature we're not separate all that stuff but actualizing it you know i mean yeah and it's yeah food is food is key there you go that was madeleine hudson or mads as she's commonly known around here talking about the various ways she interacts with different groups around food she's so passionate about growing things isn't she it's great to hear. It was a really inspiring walk and talk that we had. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. I loved it. So many themes came out there that I thought were so beautiful. And what came up again and again was that, that idea of the village mm. and what it takes. And really that's, I think, what a lot of community work is doing is filling the roles of what would have happened in a village, of people just caring for each other mm. and making sure that people who, for example, she used the people who are in a later stage of life who aren't able to manage their orchard anymore, mm. people come around and help. And then we all share in the abundance of that. Totally. Hence the name Growing Abundance. Yeah. It was great yeah. to hear both in her chat and um, as you'll hear in um, the excerpt from my chat with Lorraine as well, um, both talk very much to the multiple layers of value um, mm. in any kind of organising that goes on, mm. how it's, um, yeah, there's sort of secondary and like there's the primary impulse perhaps, but it's very complex and both sort of look at the ecosystemic nature of, um, yeah, what what goes on, how it's um, not just valuing the people that get to eat the fruit, but there's value as well and benefit from those who, as you say, have orchards or excess fruit that don't know what to do with uh, and how communities community and connection is formed in many different ways all the way through that process. Um, I love, yeah, the way that she points to the connections that are formed, uh, the human connections that are formed through the, the process of the gathering of connecting and going to people's homes and the, the processes of connection through the cultural activities that form through the harvesting and the sort of ceremony and the, the cultural forms that... Um, you know, help celebrate as well um, through those processes and connect mm. to a particular moment in time and place, looking at the seasons and the, what's going on in the natural world. Mm. And, and then the community that's formed through the eating of the food as well and, you know, through community house. So, like, all, all those levels being considered I thought was really inspiring yeah. um, in that chat and really important and to think. truly that, like, like what's it what's that phrase farm to fork or you know Mm. you can really see and what she talked about in terms of knowing exactly where what she was cooking had come from was just really deeply satisfying and a wonderful thing Mm. yeah yeah totally yeah so I was really intrigued to hear that they'd started in 2010 yeah because you am I right because I'm uh, being someone that's new to the area I hadn't really heard I've heard 
I haven't really heard much about growing abundance and I it has been really quiet as she said for the last mm. two or three years they've been very low-key and under understated and just yeah. sort of operating very much in the background but such a great idea and you yeah. know a bit about it you were here when they started weren't I you? I was yeah and I'd only been here for a year and I hadn't really involved myself in the community yet and growing abundance is one of the first things I did that I joined in with and really felt connected to community because of it and it was an amazing it was an amazing back then they had um, many people who you would be familiar with (laughs) now like Lucy Young who's at the Hub Foundation and she's now running the Yimby Compost Initiative and um, Ellen who was doing who was talking to all the local shops and she was trying to make sure that they would mark whether produce was in 50 kilometres of where they were selling it Mm. from so really marking the local so people could value that Mm. and then sass who you might be familiar with from gung-ho growers was um running the harvest team and it was huge at that point like they all threw heart and soul into that whole project but um i really remember one case in particular which is similar to the example mads gave which is of a lady who had the most beautiful house and garden and in her younger years she must have lived there the majority of her adult life with her husband but she was a widower and she was quite elderly at this point and they had developed the most beautiful garden they had an extensive orchard of trees just on their suburban block it wasn't a huge block but they had jam-packed it with fruit trees but she just wasn't able to prune and maintain and fertilize and harvest and Mm. what to do with that harvest even if she was able to pick everything and then you know at the right time of year to thin the trees so they don't get overburdened and Mm. I don't know protect them from predators all of the stuff all the maintenance stuff you need to do with an extensive orchard Mm. and she just wasn't able to but she had such strong memories of of living that life and I'm sure for someone like that it would have been really heartbreaking to see her garden not being cared for the way that she and her husband had cared for it for Mm. so many years and we came in and we ran like not we me I participated growing abundance ran pruning workshops and so we'd all be there pruning the trees and they'd be showing us how to prune them properly and how to like sanitize Mm. our clippers and all that stuff and then they'd go back and they'd harvest and of course they gave some to the household but one lady is not going to eat that much food and she doesn't want to spend hours bottling things either. But definitely the household was given a share, but they didn't, most people generally when there's a glut of food are very happy to give it away. Mm. <laughs> Everyone's offering you zucchinis at the same time of year, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Which is about now. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I'm really um, in awe of that being here, living in the countryside for the first time and yeah. just the amount of fruit trees and the amount of produce that it's seems really to... different to the city, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I guess what was really uh, interesting to me, which is, again, just reflecting on what Madeline said, was how quickly you felt connected to the person that you were interacting with. So I didn't know that lady, and I actually haven't seen her since. Um, But every time I go past that house, I have a memory of climbing through her trees and (laughs) cutting Mm. things and and the morning tea that we all had together. and, And it really did help me ground. It did help ground me in this community and help me meet people and get to know people. And yeah with similar values and similar interests and yeah you know it was it's a beautiful experience yeah so. hopefully there's some more events they've got 
happening happening in the future oh i'm sure like, yes. but even like what you were saying about the learning like you know the space of like learning how to prune a tree like how there's benefit on all scales and, yeah. and the sort of the morning tea or the culture that you know is embedded within how you harvest and how you sort of run the operation mm. and the organization being so important as well as a way to to connect and um yeah, definitely. get nourishment all in all the levels. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I saw actually. I I was looking at the website, which is looking, oh, yeah. is really great. And I don't know. I'm not up to date with where they're at, but there definitely was a part on the website that uh, has a call out if anyone has um, fruit trees that they want to put forward or want to volunteer. Um, great. That's on the Growing Abundance website, which is growingabundance.org au for anyone out there and it's worth to. checking out that website i reckon mm. just to see what they're doing yeah and, and i'm sure they've got a mailing list you could sign up to if you want to mm. find out a bit more and hear about things like bottling or preserving or apple pressing and cider making or whatever else they'll do yeah yeah yep. so it is i think it's it's they're wonderful things that we they're they're sort of everyday mundane arts that most people historically would have just known how to do for their household and that was part of the labor of having a household um but we've lost so much of that knowledge these days most most people in australia just buy stuff from the shops like Mm. you know so i think it's so important that more and more of us learn that those old skills of how to preserve stuff and keep food viable so you can still have pears midwinter or whatever you want to do yep totally yep You're listening to Saltgrass. I'm Ali and I'm joined with Zoe Scolio, who has been working with the Castlemaine Commons Collective. What we've got coming up next is a woman who works in a space that is needing often a lot of care and that a lot of people often don't think about as much as maybe we could. Zoe, do you want to introduce Lorraine? Yeah, so this is an excerpt of our conversation that we had last year um, with Lorraine Lepastriere, who is a local artist and is also a member of MASDAG, which stands for Mount Alexandershire Disability Advocacy Group, who are doing all sorts of awesome things um, locally and Uh, As it says on their website, their aim is to promote systemic change that supports equitable social participation for the wide range of disabilities experienced by residents in their area. And they understand the importance of social inclusion for everyone, including those with disabilities, their families and carers. So I had a chat with Lorraine at the Rotunda at the Botanical Castlemaine Botanical Gardens, along with there were lots of birds nearby, a few trains yes. and people um, <laughs> passing us. And that space was an interesting space to meet her in because Mazdag had advocated for a ramp to be put in to allow access um, for those with wheelchairs and other walking difficulties to access. But as she talks about in this clip, the ramp has been of big benefit for all sorts of people in the community. So the work that Mazdag are doing uh, are not just benefiting people with disabilities, but end up being a benefit for uh, the entire community. This ramp going up here wasn't provided and Mazdag got that put in place. <laughs> Amazing. Yep. Yeah, it's easier for everybody. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a group that come and play here. 
practice their music here and they can carry all their double basses and all their gadgets up here as well. It's just easier. Yeah. MESDAC had organised a professional development with about 30 council staff and um, they had to go out in teams of five and um, go to, say, significant places from A to B around all around the town. And um, every 10 minutes they changed from having sticks to push chair, electric chair, scooter, being blindfolded or being deaf or having sounds come into their ears. And every single one of the workers came back shocked because they hadn't had that experience. So, you know, the different experiences that become available for people in all sorts of things, not just disability, but in all sorts of things just make us better people. Hmm. A couple of ramps, there was a, one of the engineers was in a push chair and it took him five goes to get down the ramp because it was so uneven and had a lip on it, couldn't get down. And I said to him, we turn around, or get up it as well. I said, we turn around and go backwards with our wheels first because they're bigger. And he did that. It took him five goes to try and get across the traffic lights at Forest and Barker Street. That was fixed. <laughs> There's ramps. <laughs> yeah, we did. We have made improvements. There's um, in Forest Street between the football ground and the um, the entrance into Campbell's Creek. There's, I've been going across there, and there's quite a few older people, old ladies mostly, who say, "I bet you had something involved in getting this bit in the middle of the road so we can get across the road easily." And I said, "Yes." <laughs> and um, just simple things like that make it so much better. I just I feel as if the country wraps itself around me, you know. And but in terms of people, even if you don't know someone, you can go down the street and by coming in here, this man stepped right across the other side of the path so I'd have a free run at it. And I said, I'm not that bad a driver. <laughs> and he got the giggles, and then I got the giggles. But we didn't know each other. But you know, people people feel safe enough so that they can just strike up a bit of a conversation. That's another thing about living in a smaller place. You know, even if you don't know someone who has a disability, eventually, if people pass me in a scooter or something, I wave, and then after a little while, the next time they pass, you say hello, and then after that, you'll say, how you going, or whatever, you know. You just develop that trust in each other. But um, even people okay. without disabilities, I think it's vital. Yeah. Um, I worked with the council as part of a MASDAG representative on a COVID-19 group, which was about communications, about getting ideas and information out to people. And one of that is that stuff that's in the IGA, that plastic containers, and in the front of the library, all that information. Like that was working to try and get the information to people. And the library is um, one of those places that... Um, Again, people come together and they feel safe, you know, as well as the resources that are available there. A lot of people who are very single in their concepts of life go there and feel comfortable. Yes, and you know, particularly in COVID-19 when you, when you sort of shut down and all of your life patterns get changed, if suddenly you're down the street and someone starts talking to you, so the next time you see them, you just feel that much better. And you sort of building bonds with them and mm. yeah. she's absolutely right mm. <laughs> that was Lorraine talking with Zoe about uh, Mazdag getting ramps and things uh, put around town but also just the beauty of being out in the community and how those connections happen slowly over time but gradually 
when you see someone over and over again, you start to gradually smile, say hello. Next time you might say, how are you? Yeah. You know, those sort of things. It's really subtle stuff, but that's how connections are made, isn't it? Yeah, they are. And um, that element she talked about a lot around uh, safety and trust, these Mm. things that she feels are more present in a country or regional setting where it's easier to build up those incidental relationships with people on the street through Mm. random encounters because there is a slower pace of life and also people feel safe enough to stop and talk to strangers. It's really interesting, isn't it? I don't know because um, I know, I mean, when I moved up here from Melbourne, I really noticed how quickly I learned to smile at people I didn't know. Mm. And when people first move up here, like when you go back to the city, sometimes I've now become a country kid because when I go back to the city, I'll just smile at people on the street and they look at me like I am so weird or like I want something from them or they get a bit scared. And it's like, I'm sorry, I'm just from the country. Mm. <laughs> but it's a really different a sense of who you're sharing a footpath with, isn't it? Yeah, and I think there are many factors at play. I think it's also that overstimulation when you're in a city. You have to self-censor to not be overloaded by the amount of people and things that are passing you by. And you often are accosted in the city by people who want something from you, like a donation or something or something, or they're trying to sell you something. And I don't know, I, I feel like that happens less out here. And there's just, because in a small town there's a culture of it, it just becomes, it's self-perpetuating too. Yeah. So that sort of smiling at a stranger or making a little bit of polite conversation as you stand outside the fish and chip shop instead of looking at your phone and scrolling or whatever, which we still do sometimes. Yeah, and also having more time. And, of course, that's a generalisation, but I think the slower pace, which, of course, is enabled as well through a lower cost of living usually anyway obviously that's changing as well with gentrification and the like but you know people are really busy in the city in a way that just makes no sense um and Mm. i mean people get busy here too but in general there is a slower um pacing that allows for stopping and noticing and connecting absolutely and that's what i loved about um both maddie and mads and um lorraine's chat was thinking not just about community groups like that are very fixed and determined but uh how community is formed through different encounters slowly over time and Mm. what Lorraine also talked about when our conversation was a study that had been done around the impact of different architectures in town different social architectures such as seating seats and uh, tables and a study that was done on the impact that these very simple architectural um elements have on people's sense of well-being and connection yeah great it's really interesting isn't it and what she was saying about making people go through town with either a blindfold on or earmuffs so they can't hear things and Mm. limiting their mobility and making them actually live the life of someone who has limited Mm -hmm. sensory capacity or, or mobility um how shocking that was for people who actually are the ones who are making the decisions about yeah. urban architecture yeah I just I, I thought that was such a great thing for, yeah. <laughs> for them I mean, to organize everyone should do that I mean that's the thing as well we have you know we can only know the world through our experience and some people uh, are better at imagining or connecting or listening to stories and experiences of others but it's mm. so important for all of us to be spending that time but also I think both with Mads and Lorraine's conversation was that emphasis on ground up knowledge people on the ground and the kind of forms of organising or the kinds of things that form 
and get addressed or advocated for from mm. these grounded positions of, you know, being, yeah, having a lived experience that uh, requires certain things or, you know, addressing what needs um, there are and what kind of things can happen in response. Absolutely. And I really noticed in both interviews as well, because Mads was talking about how that older couple really appreciated people coming to help with their harvest. And then Lorraine was talking about how the old ladies were like, you helped make this safer and better for us, didn't you? And she was like, yes, that was me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the elderly also struggle with, you know, crooked footpaths and difficult crossings and things. Mm. And I think we're all hopefully going to get old, <laughs> you know, but we don't necessarily always think about what other people's requirements are and I I think that's fundamental to this idea of community care and the idea of the village is that we care for people even if they're not fully able or Mm. you know whatever stage they're in they're still valuable to the community to the village yeah yeah and how say like putting a seat somewhere or a table is going to be really beneficial, especially for someone who's not able to walk large distances without needing a rest yeah. and might just need to sit and be in a public space uh, to have that social element but might not be able to engage in other ways. But, of course, everybody can benefit from that as well. And, and who still wants to participate and be mm. out and see people and be in the community. And that idea of the library as a safe space too was I, th- I thought was a really nice mm. point to be made, that there are some places that... We need to create as safe places for people just to be mm-hmm. amongst strangers or yeah. amongst the community that maybe you don't know so well, but maybe you will know well yeah. if you go there enough. Totally. I love this line, people who are single in their concepts of life can <laughs> gather in places like libraries, which is mm. I love because not everyone wants to form, be part of a really active group as such. You know, we all have such different ways of connecting and wanting to be held in community and you know, I think a big part of this series was about looking at our interdependence and our need for one another and breaking this very sort of dominant idea of us as individuals and having to survive and do it all ourselves, which is part of this sort of neoliberal mindset. Yeah. Um, but even... And that if you're not contributing actively, then you're not valuable mm. as well, which for the elderly and the differently abled, that is a really important thing and why people often feel neglected or forgotten yeah do you know yeah so yeah what are these architectures that hold hold space for people to to be in relation in in all different ways now if anyone's listening to this and has thoughts on any of these topics i would love for you to contact us we have been promoting the text line but we do only have about 10 minutes left of the show so um zoe has an email address you could write to for Castlemaine yeah. Commons or even the Facebook group, um, event that we created for this series, this radio series. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be great to hear from people. This is sort of an ongoing open research uh, process, uh, looking into local forms of community organising and community care. So Commons.gmail, sorry, at gmail.com is the email address if you feel like you've got a story you'd like to share or something you'd like to add we'd love to hear from you our yeah the facebook page that ali mentioned which can be found on the salt grass podcast page or the Castlemaine commons page yeah. on facebook we have co-hosted the facebook event that is we've created for this so next week will be our last one um for the moment maybe zoe will keep collecting stories and and we could do some more in the future but and uh, not next week but in a fortnight's time we'll be back with Zoe but we do have a little bit more before we go from Lorraine Uh, we've got two little pieces and we're going to run them right next to each other 
Uh, do you want to introduce them? The first well, one just, will be Plovers. Yeah, Plovers. Lorraine was also sharing a lot of um, some, a lot of stories around her love of bird life and connections with birds. And this is her talking about plovers, which I've heard a lot of plovers in the area, but I don't see them often. But it also comes back to the point I just made before around what architectures, uh, I found a really great crossover in her talking about human architectures, but also thinking about the planting of trees or the infrastructure that can help um, ecosystem ecosystems as well. Yeah. yeah, for different relations with different species. And, and as the planet gets more human controlled <laughs> and nature has less and less space we need to be really conscious of creating space for ecosystems to thrive mm-hmm. not just give them scraps of land that we can't do stuff with <laughs> yeah exactly and both like maddie as well coming back to the garden what you've got in your own garden yeah absolutely okay so this is lorraine talking about plovers and then she will move on to talking about music groups they, um, they seem to build their nest, you know, in a very open space that you think, my goodness, this is unprotected and all the rest. But, um, or it's in a strange place like it might be in someone's driveway or something. But I think they've got something inside them that, that's been their territory and that's mm. where they're going to build their nest forever. There's two up at the hospital mm. and um, they, they put a nest in the garden up there and... Um, there's a wheelchair path that goes up to the hospital because the roads and things are too steep. I love gardening and I love planting native plants and um, there's a plant called Eremophila and its common name is emu bush but there's 600 varieties of it in Australia and um, their birds love them. Mm. All these little things that little honey just come put their beaks in and mm. you can sit in the lounge room and just watch them. They're fabulous. And what's it called, the Corker Orchestra? Corker Orchestra is in Castlemaine, mm-hmm. yeah, and they practice um, down at Campbell's Creek Community Centre mm-hmm. on Monday nights at 6. Any ability, any instrument. So yeah, well, yeah, there was a fabulous choir here called the Chat Warblers, mm-hmm. which is an all-women's choir, and um, I've just enrolled in a gospel singing class. Mm-hmm. There's some really good singers around here. Have you heard of the Blenders? No, I haven't. Oh. The blenders of um, are four women who have just got the most beautiful harmony. There's another choir called the Peace Choir. Oh, yes, my, my parents yeah, have done That's the choir of all abilities. NASDAQ launched a disability access guide for businesses because 57% of businesses in Casamane are not accessible. Mm. And um, we launched it over here. And the Peace Choir came and sang there, and they were just fabulous. Mm. And it was just voluntary about who wanted to come, not everybody. But the Peace Choir is terrific. Mm. Songs are really good. So that's Wednesday nights at half past five onwards. And yeah. then you share some food and then you go home. Also, you know, the, there's a fellow who sits next to me, George. And um, we've got this really good bond. It's, you know, if if you play a wrong note or you're going on the wrong set, there's this little gentle nudge, mm. you know, so that you're going wrong. But it's a, some sort of a bond that you're playing together and you're hearing them and you're correcting yourself and getting things right. So at the end of the concert, you know, it's huggable. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Mm. She's so connected in the community, isn't she? She does so many things. Yeah, there are so many things going on and it's great to hear also yeah, the different musical groups um, that are around, at least some of them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've heard of most of those choirs that she was talking about. I haven't sung in any of them. <laughs> Have you been involved in any music groups? Yeah, well, I've been in the Thompson's Foundry Band 
Uh, I'm not currently a player, but I was for about seven years. And from that, actually, I hadn't played my trumpet since high school. So it was like a 15-ish or 15-year break between last playing. And then a friend of mine uh, was telling me about it. And I said, oh, I'm really not going to be any good. Like it's been 15 years since I played and I don't have a trumpet. And she's like, it's all right. The band will give you one and it doesn't matter how well you play like they can teach you and there are lessons and you just have a go and no one's expecting you to be like a grade musician. (laughs) And it was enough that I just went along and I actually went and sat and listened to them just to get a sense of it. And I, I got the such warm fuzzies. I got such a beautiful, warm, um, glowing feeling from just hearing that brass music and seeing the diversity of ages and the diversity of people that were sitting in that room together, just having a go and having a blow, so to speak. And yeah, it was, it was really lovely. And I played with them for seven years. So mm, great. And the pandemic kind of put a hold on the band for a year. Cause a lot of the players are a lot older and then I just didn't start back up again, but they are playing again now. Mm. Yeah. And then that led me to playing with other musicians and other music groups with playing the trumpet again. It, it got me playing. So, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, awesome. It's great when it's so open and accessible in that way where it seems like, you know, people of different experience levels can partake and how much of it's a space of learning as well. Like I love that last comment Lorraine made around the sort of bonds when you're in it together. Absolutely. Giving it a go and and helping each other out (laughs) learning. yeah. Yeah, you sit there and you blow a wrong note. And you like sort of tense up, but then the person next to you also blows a wrong note sometime later and you're all in at the same level, same, you know, and then the better players are always just happy to give you a tip or just, you know, carry the band when they need to, but mm. you know, but there's, there's different, like, did she mention the Corker Orchestra? Um, yes. Cause that's an amazing group as well, where it doesn't matter what instrument you play, you can just show up and they'll fit you in. So it's not a it's not a classical orchestra as you would imagine with particular parts and only so many violins and so many trumpets or whatever. Um, they just fit anyone in. So you might have all sorts of crazy instruments in the same room and everyone's just there to make music and have fun and, and be with each other. Really? Mm. It's a be- I mean, music is a beautiful thing to be a part of and it's kind of the perfect community building creative activity isn't it so many creative activities are really solitary but music only gets better with the more people and you you create like the harmonies and the interweaving of you know different lines of the music create something that can't possibly be paid by just one person on their own yeah and also that sort of the noise just the vibration and the energy that gets generated with lots of people uh making sound together yeah is uh you know on a really bodily visceral level you know is really energizing absolutely in terms and connecting i it's been interesting learning about um the nervous system i've been thinking a lot in my own research around the role of the nervous system and different forms of regulating one's own but also different community um forms things we do with others to co-regulate and there's a lot of talk around you know making music singing together things that um you know also work on this very deeper nervous system level to co-regulate and so that deep breathing yeah so good yeah what that does to kind of create connection and to create a sense of belonging and feeling at ease in the body um, absolutely which are all really fundamental 
things. You're so right. Yeah, it's really good. And what I love about this sort of, and it's similar, you know what, it's similar to community radio. (laughs) When I lived in the city, I never even thought about community radio stations as something I would want to get involved in because it seemed either like the cool kids ran it or it was just so packed with people who wanted to be in it that you had to be really good at it to even get a foot in. And But in a country town, you can just show up and have a show on Main FM and have a go and just see what happens and see how you feel about it and mess around. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that's the beauty of so many of these music groups is that you can just join in and you don't have to be great at it straight away. Mm. But maybe by doing it for a while, you can become great. Totally. And I think it's that um, the process as well, like it's not just about an outcome, but the joy and the, the value is in in the process of turning up together, which yeah. I think, you know, in these times of increasing precarity, I mean, there's such, you know, with the terrible floods that are happening at the moment and it's really, you know, present, uh, the shifting climates that we're in and the need for resilience and solidarity and action, but how these forms of being together ongoingly and the joy that it brings, how that can sustain movements that um, help us address also the, the shifting world that we're in. Absolutely. And as you said before, that ability of those things to help us regulate in stressful times. Mm. How important is that? It's so important to, to help each other regulate. Anyway, that's it for us today. You've been listening to Saltgrass with a Castlemaine Commons Collective special with Zoe Scolio. And Zoe will be back with us in another two weeks for our final instalment of this series. And next week we'll have another Saltgrass episode for you ready to go. Thanks for listening. Salt. 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 Yeah. Salt. 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 Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Salt Grass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.